Hi, this is Anne Eugenio, and you are listening to the Momentum Therapy Podcast, Episode 5. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that um, you're having a great day. I'm having a good day. In fact, it's the middle of the night. I'm getting ready to go traveling with my family to do um, a ballroom competition for my kids. And I really wanted to get the podcast recorded. I was trying to keep on track with my goals. So trying to do one podcast every two weeks while I'm in grad school. It took me a really long time to get going with this podcast because I was afraid to put myself out there as an expert without being an actual expert. I suspected that there were right answers and correct ways to say things, and I needed to figure out what all those were before I went out and gave my opinion. Well, starting this podcast in grad school has been really liberating because I'm inviting you into the growth zone with me, where I'm learning and discovering new things about about mental health and about myself. And the the further along I go into the program, I seem to realize that the growth zone is actually the place where we all really need to stay. And as therapists, especially, we need to stay in that growth zone so that we're always learning and adapting and becoming new. And that's what we're going to help our clients do. We're going to help, we're going to help them move towards their goals to learn and grow every day. So no, I am not an expert on any of the things that I'm going to talk about today. And I'm nervous to talk about them because I know how polarizing they can be. I know that opinions are strong and the people in my life and in the community are passionate about these really important and sensitive topics. And I really want to be sensitive to everyone, knowing that I can't possibly represent every single side of every issue and that I really shouldn't try. So come with me. I want to just, I want to share some of the things I've learned about these important topics of social justice, oppression, uh, intersectionality, and I want to do it over the course of a few series. This is just going to serve as an introduction to tell you some things that I've learned and the approach that I'm going to take. And then I'm going to share with you some conversations I had with, with classmates about their ideas and experiences related to these important issues. So I have not arrived at any um, understanding and I don't, I don't want to have this podcast be some kind of a message where I'm sending out an idea of what you, you listener, needs to think and feel about anything I'm speaking about. Okay, so you're probably like, Anne, get on with it. What is it you're going to talk about? Well, I want to talk about, I want to talk about racism. I want to talk about anti-racism, white supremacy, critical race theory, intergenerational trauma, and all of the things. Now, when I read that list just now, which is just a short list of all the things, I wonder what kind of reaction I got from you. I want you to kind of think about what background knowledge that you bring to this podcast. I'm listening. Did you like want to shut it off right away? Cause you're like, I, you know, I don't want to listen to what she says about that. Or, um, or were you really curious? And I'm thinking, you know, what are you predicting that I'm going to say about these things? Because chances are in the climate today, you have some thoughts and feelings that you're already bringing to the table. And I'll just share some of the things that I brought to this conversation, these ideas coming into grad school. I knew that marriage and family therapists were systemic, meaning that they were going to, we I was going to learn how to look at systems and how they affected people and how power and oppression can be significant detriments to mental health. And I came into the field 
um, not so sure how I was going to embrace that because, um, I had studied a lot of, um, a lot of teachings by life coaches and people like Byron Katie and Eckhart Tolle and, um, this idea that real true freedom comes from being present in your mind. And I didn't want to give up any control of my inner landscape to outside forces. I really like this idea that I really could be in charge of my experience by man- mastering my thoughts and my emotions. It seemed to me that talk about oppression, racism, sexism, all the different forms of societal injustices would just be a way of giving away autonomy and control of your life. And I really have come to understand that no good mental health treatment or help from a therapist can be complete without attention to these societal forces, because we do interact with and are affected by our, our context. And not knowing that intuitively was a sign of my own privilege. Now, privilege is another one of those words that is probably ringing in your ears if you're not used to to thinking about it in a way that is like peaceful at all. And I have to admit, the word privilege isn't really a peaceful word. But let me just try to let me just try to illustrate for you what I mean by privilege and why it is an important concept for therapists and for everybody. So I want to tell you a little story to illustrate this, um, the things that I've learned here in this, in this concept here. So when I was, I think 13, maybe 14, I, um, you know, I, it was 1993. And when you had a boyfriend, you were going out. So I had like my second boyfriend ever, and I'd never even kissed a boy or anything, but I had this boyfriend and we were going out. And in, in my time that just meant he was meeting me between my classes. And, um, I think we held hands a couple times and it was all very nice and cute and sweet and all the things, because I wasn't really actually allowed to go hang out with him at 13 years old, but we were sitting at a baseball game, uh, my brother's baseball game. And I saw this boyfriend across the, across the field and I was sitting next to my stepdad. And I said, Hey, look, there's a boy I like. And he said, that black guy? And I was like, huh, I guess he is black. And I carried around with me for a lot of years, a sort of strange pride that I hadn't noticed that he was, that he was black. And, um, of course I noticed that his skin was not white. Like my, like we had different color skins, but, and I had kind of retained an innocence that it just really didn't inform much for me. I didn't really, it wasn't like important or noticeable in a way that, that changed my interaction or thoughts about him. And I really kind of accepted this colorblind stance as a sign that I was doing well when it came to race relations in my life and how I was behaving. But the story doesn't quite end there because later I brought it up with him on the phone and I kind of awkwardly asked him like what race he was, and he was really baffled by that. And, and I could tell it was confusing to him, but we were 13 and we moved quickly past that conversation. And then we broke up two weeks later because he kissed me on the cheek and I told him he was moving too fast. (laughs) The story 
kind of stayed with me and I've digested it over the years in different ways. And what came to me as I've been studying what privilege means is this idea that although I had the ability to let race fall into the background, and that was not the case for my friend. He was very aware of his race and my race, and it was a part of his daily functioning and an important part of his daily functioning. And the fact that I did not recognize that or see that or make it equally important was not, was actually not healthy. And that being colorblind in that way isn't, a, isn't the goal. In order to truly be attuned with somebody, we need to be able to, to look at the whole picture of who they are and open ourselves to their experiences and perspectives. And we need to be able to talk about race with all the people that we love and to recognize the impact that race and ethnicity have on everyone's lives, individual lives. And if we, if you, maybe you're, if you're a white person listening to this and you haven't had to think about it much, then that is kind of your privilege. And it's a good idea to step outside of that privilege and to have conversations and think about their perspectives of people who don't live that reality. One of the things that's really important about privilege is letting go of this idea of rightness or wrongness associated with it. Um, I really like the story uh, from my youth because as a relatively innocent 13-year-old, um, there wasn't any malice. Um, it was clear that it was just kind of an innocence and um, just a lack of understanding or perspective that wasn't wrong inherently. But there is a better way, and that way involves becoming aware of the experiences of others, which is literally going to be my job as a therapist. And really, it should be all of our jobs to really become attuned to the experiences of the people around us. And, you know, I don't expect you to go out and start grilling your friends that are people of color or minority populations about their experiences, because when and how people share, um, that is up to them. But there are plenty of books and interesting articles and podcasts that you can listen to um, with the stories and experiences of people of color and all of many, any population that you're currently unconnected with. You can learn from them in this amazing time of, of unprecedented sharing. As I mentioned, my, my feelings of colorblindness as a teenager weren't inherently wrong. And me having my understanding open to what that experience was like for somebody else um, different than me, it was an expansion of of my ability to empathize and connect. It also opened up the possibility for me to see a a two-way definition of racism. So the first kind of racism I definitely was not guilty of, and that is the racism many of us think of, that is hate crimes and racial slurs and, you know, that kind of outward behavior. And I wasn't even guilty of inward thoughts of negativity towards the other people of other races around me. This definition that I have of racism that I've, that has evolved for me is better when it doesn't it isn't a label that's applied to an individual individual, but instead it's used as an adjective to describe thoughts or actions or patterns. Um, so instead of saying I was or wasn't racist, I could talk about thoughts or patterns of behaviors that had racist tendencies. Um, and the word racism is so, um, is so emotionally charged 
for for so many people and I understand that that's okay and in fact you don't need my permission as some person on a podcast of to have your feelings that you feel and what I have now is an invitation to to look at these kind of big scary words and really look at how an understanding of them can help develop a deeper attunement to those around you so I'd like to be able to on this podcast talk about freely all the emotionally charged topics that are that are part of the fire that's kind of burning through our society and polarizing. I don't think the passion and the intense emotion around these topics are wrong. I think that they do need our attention and our discussion. I want to acknowledge freely that where I stand in my perspective is just one perspective. And again, I encourage you to go out there and learn all you can about these things for yourself. But I also hope that what I can offer you is a bridge to learn about why these things are important and also to expand your understanding of a possible acceptance of nuance and gray area and holding two opposing realities in your hands and in your minds. I want to give you an example of of how this will look in in the therapy room. It could look in the therapy room. So it's important, one of the important things and goals usually for, um, for therapy is to make sure that there aren't improper power imbalances in a family, meaning we want to move towards equal power between um, partners and we want the power to be held with between the parents, parent and child relationship, the, the, the parent should be holding more power and to make decisions and to guide the child with that gradually lessening as the child grows. And oftentimes a power imbalance of some sort will, of some sort will bring uh, a family into therapy or individual into therapy, a feelingness of helplessness or being out of control, or um, many times we'll bring it, bring it in. And we want to make sure that we're bringing, we were doing our best as therapists to to, to rebalance power and to reframe things. As therapists, we also are bound to be culturally sensitive and respectful to the traditions and customs of any specific people. In other words, we as therapists are not going to colonize the, the clients that come into our, office, our offices and in our virtual spaces. We're not going to sit across from them and try to make them mini uh, versions of ourselves and our opinions. We're not going to try to have them make changes that aren't their own idea and their goals. And these two realities can be in direct opposition to each other if um, a family is operating from a a cultural tradition that puts um, the man or the father, a father figure at the head of a home and allows them the respect and the final say in important matters of running the family home. As therapists, we're also going to be aware of the importance of keeping our clients safe. And challenging power dynamics isn't always a safe thing to do in every family situation. There is literally a lot to lose in many family dynamics. As I dig deeper into the potential to help families by holding competing objectives, um, I, I feel very freed and excited about the field of marriage and family therapy. I almost see it as a way, if we can expand this, this mentality of holding space for 
many different ideas to exist simultaneously in our minds and hearts and in our objectives and in our work, then we can really make progress as a group, as a community, as a country even. I admit that I am a bit of an idealist. I think that it's always important to have an ideal that you're striving for and also an understanding that reaching that goal is reaching that ideal is not only impossible, but is probably not even the most important thing. It's the growth and stretching that happens along the way. I acknowledge that the way I'm speaking about racism and the way I'm going to speak about white supremacy and oppression and critical race theory, trauma, intergenerational trauma, all of these things are probably not ways that are usually being talked about. Um, I am not borrowing the fire of those that are oppressed. Neither am I resisting these ideas as dangerous or harmful. I want to not look at these things from political or educational stances where there is any agenda other than the honest, true desire to to connect with and to be present in the experiences of other human beings and to invite, invite you all listening to do the same. Because when we do so, we will begin to heal together as a community. The same pattern can be found in our families. As soon as we really start to listen, connect, to validate, to understand, and to not judge or elevate anyone's experience, but to really just witness and and be present, we can really, we can begin to heal. And so when we have someone in encounter in our lives, or we hear someone's story that is different than our own and that makes us uncomfortable, we can we can do them, we can honor them and ourselves by really listening and stretching and growing and accepting what they have to teach us. There is no doubt in my mind that good therapy means an attention to power dynamics, to the effects of, of oppression and marginalization on our mental health and on our relationships, which are the most essential and precious thing we have in this life. Again, I am solidly in the growth zone on these topics, and I just invite you to come along with me as I learn and grow. Thank you, and I will see you all next week. Bye.